Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Captain's Table. Ho, 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 and welcome to the Captain's Table. My name's Michael, and with me on my sleigh ride is Roz. Hi Roz, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas Michael, are you excited for Santa? Have you been a good boy this year? I've been a terrible boy but I'm hoping Santa hasn't realised. <laughs> <laughs> You're hoping you've managed to avoid the list, huh? Uh, I'm so excited, it's just brilliant. Have you got all your Christmas shopping done and wrapped or are you one of these last minute shoppers? Oh no, I'm normally quite organised so most of it's done just finishing off last bits and pieces and and to be honest nine times out of ten it's presents for myself. I'm really selfish so I'll just go out and see something and and then I'll go and buy it and think okay someone else can have a smaller present. I'll have a bigger present this time. (laughs) (laughs) So it all depends and and I'm, I'm one of those impulse buyers too so I'll have a list and the list will be i don't know might be my brother he's going to get x y and z but then when i'm out and about i'll see something and i think oh okay that will be good for him too so i'll end up buying that as well yeah so so how about you though how are you getting on yeah i got everything um just got sort of half of it left to wrap so um the but the tree's up and most of the presents are under there already so it's, i try and get them wrapped as quickly as possible because i don't want thieves going poking about in cupboards and finding gifts and seeing what they are so at least if they're wrapped and under the tree i can kind of tell if they've been poked and prodded <laughs> <laughs> now not only are you going to be having christmas in your new home ros you are going to be cooking for 10 people so no pressure whatsoever Oh, no, I know. I'm sort of thrown in at the deep end for my first ever Christmas dinner that I'm hosting. Um, but we are. We're having my better half's family over and there's going to be 10 of us. So and we're going to be in our new house. This will be first Christmas in our new house. And it is. Yeah, it's going to be huge. But I think I'm, I'm relatively well prepared. So it's, I, I kind of feel that as long as I don't burn anything or give people food poisoning that's pretty much a win (laughs) (laughs) and and will it be a traditional Klingon Christmas meal oh yeah with gach and uh, (laughs) and a bit of racht and uh, yeah yeah it's you know everything will be moving and and living and you're gonna have to chase it around the table (laughs) oh brilliant perfect (laughs) you could have a bat left fight in the evening Oh well, it's not Christmas without Batman. <laughs> and then obviously we'll have to recite some uh, some Shakespeare and Dickens in the original Klingon because that's festive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, over some blood wine sounds brilliant. <laughs> Mold oh. blood wine, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh dear, we're we're in the wrong job. We sh- we should be Christmas consultants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think we'd be invited back. <laughs> no, that's true. Oh dear, so what are we doing this evening, Roz? Well, this evening is the first of our new review shows for the novellas. So instead of 
reviewing just one Star Trek novel. In this show, we're going to be looking at three short stories or novellas um, because they are a lot shorter, so there isn't as much to, to speak about. So we figure we'll, we'll give three and speak about uh, the variety and give people a bit of a option to go out and read one, two or all of them. Yeah, it's been a really busy year for novellas and they're becoming more and more popular as well. Yeah, well, they are a good format for a lot of these stories that maybe it's a topic or something that you that one of the authors wants to explore, but there's not quite enough there for a full-length novel. And, and you don't want to pad it out into a full-length novel and just fill it with waffle. Um, it, sometimes it's just much better to have the distilled story in the shorter format. Um, and it, it's easier sometimes um, for the reader as well, because you don't always have time to be slogging through full-length novels all the time. So sometimes it's nice to just be able to have something that you can get through in, in an afternoon or over a, over the course of a weekend. So yeah, that's, it's nice for a change. And it's good as well, if you want to get into the books and, and you don't know where to start, you could try a novella, which is only about 100 pages, and that will give you a good indicator whether or not you want to try some different Star Trek books or full-length Star Trek books. Yeah, exactly. So as long as you're picking up a, a good novella, it's quite a nice uh, introduction. If you pick up a bad novella, then it's a horrible introduction. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go that further down the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, good thing Q's not around, but that's another story. So but the listeners have been spared a rant until 2015. <laughs> yes, our, on our next novella show, I think we're going to have an interesting discussion about one of the next ones <laughs> we'll be reviewing. Um, but it may be a bit of an interesting discussion today, because I think that we don't agree on all of the ones that we'll be reviewing today. Isn't that right? <laughs> no, it's true. And it's been been an interesting year because we've pretty much agreed on all the books so this should be quite interesting well there you go we can go out on our our first uh, disagreement of the year yeah <laughs> we'll wrap it up in december with our first ever disagreement on a book yeah definitely fortunately we've got one more show so we can make up then <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> oh dear so this evening listeners we're going to be reviewing three novellas as ros said and they are dramatic pause no they are star trek titan absent enemies by john jackson miller star trek tos the more things change by scott pearson and star trek tos again seasons of light and darkness by michael a martin so let's jump straight in ros and we're gonna start with seasons of light and darkness yeah this this was a bit middle of the ground wasn't it i think for both of us um it's yeah. not a bad book by any means i did enjoy it and i think that most people who read it would enjoy it it's a good solid character piece but yeah it's a bit meh yeah so for the listeners let me give you the general synopsis for the book in this novella, we follow McCoy after he leaves Kirk's apartment and as he seeks the counsel of an old colleague, Spock. Somewhat intoxicated, he tells Spock that Jim is making a mistake and regales the Vulcan with a tale of his first visit to Capella 4, years before joining the crew of the Enterprise. Now, what's not in the synopsis is the fact that this is set just before the event scene in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. 
Yeah, so it's a bit of a tie-in and it does make reference to both Wrath of Khan, but it also ties in and makes reference to a TOS episode from the original um, TV show uh, called Friday's Child. So there is quite a lot of of good tie-in throughout the book to established Star Trek canon or whatever you want to call it. No, I, I agree. And, and I have to say that Friday's Child is one of my favourite episodes. I, I just think it's a fun episode. It, it really, really is good. So it was nice to, to hear some links to that story. So I have to agree with what you said at the beginning, Roz, that for me, this this isn't a terrible story. It's a, it's a middle of the road story. There's some good character moments. There's great links, as we mentioned, to Friday's Child and, of course, the Wrath of Khan. Um, if anything, it's just a really good character story. And if you like Dr. McCoy, I think you're in for a treat and you're going to love this story. If you're not a big McCoy fan, then it's just going to be, as I said, a middle of the road novel. Yeah, I think the thing about it is it's, it's a good solid character piece. Or for me, it was a good solid character piece in that I felt that it was very true to the character of McCoy. And I could definitely hear... DeForest Kelly's voice coming through in the way that the character was written and I always am very um, appreciative when characters in the books are written so true to what we saw on the screen because uh, authors do occasionally take liberty with the way that they write the character but I think as long as overall you can hear the actor still saying the lines then it is believable and it draws you and it, it makes you feel like you're really reading about that character. So I did enjoy the way it was written, but I, I kind of felt that although it looked a lot at McCoy, it didn't really reveal much more about him that we didn't know. It, it, it told a story from his past, but it did, there weren't any massive revelations that really developed his character. I, you maybe disagree, Michael, but I felt that it was a nice story about McCoy, but it didn't really develop his character that much more than we already knew about him. No, I, I think you're right. It's It just fills in the gaps, doesn't it? It just fills in yeah. the gaps of the Capella story because we at the beginning of Friday's Child, McCoy is giving the briefing on the planet because he had previously been to that planet. So he was telling Kirk and, and crew about his experiences and about the people so all we see is what happened you know his first visit to the planet but it didn't really move the character along and i suppose in some ways he couldn't because what happens next to the character is the events of the wrath of khan isn't it Mm -hmm. so he's almost it's almost like the author's got one hand tied behind his back because the story has to end because it's gonna go into the film into the second film yeah, setting it in that specific time frame, he really has um, restricted himself as to what he can do because it ha- anything that he writes has to naturally follow on to the events that have already been established for the Rapagan. So there's only so much he could do. And it was an interesting choice for him to pick that specific time period and use that to kick it off. It, it's a nice tie-in. I don't know that it's a it's a particularly necessary tie-in. I mean, he could have picked any episode or or any point throughout the whole of TOS or any of them to to spark off McCoy telling the story. It wasn't really 
essential that it be at this point just before Wrath of Khan. But it, it's a nice tie-in. It's something for the fans who like the, the movie to be able to go, oh, that I know what happens. And, and oh, that's nice to have that little snippet of that scene before and um, where he's, you know, speaks to to Kirk and then to Spock. But um yeah, it could it could have been anything. So it wasn't it's not really that it's tied into Wrath of Khan, it's just a nice addition to the book. I, I, and though we it is quite restrictive, I think those tie-ins do work because I, I've put down in my notes that Obviously, McCoy goes to see Spock. He's voicing his concerns about Kirk. And in that scene in, in The Wrath of Khan where Kirk goes to Spock and says, look, I'm going to have to take command. Um, and Spock Spock says, oh, your first best destiny is to command a starship. And you could imagine that he's taken into account what, what McCoy has said to him mm-hmm. and, and how McCoy has voiced his concerns. So I thought that was it. And, this takes place you know the night of kirk's birthday mccoy has gone to see kirk they they've had this conversation you know kirk has basically said don't mince words bones what do you really think and and mccoy tells him and uh, that sort of links in but the overall story itself going back to capella four as you say it could have been for anything really yeah and um and although I said that I didn't really feel that there was much more development of McCoy in the story, um, I, I felt it was very true to him, but I didn't feel that it really developed his character. But what I did enjoy was the development of the um, Capella 4 culture, because we got a glimpse of that in Friday's Child. Um, and they're a very interesting race. And obviously from them, they've been mentioned in many books further down the line, because we get Admiral Akar, who's a Capellan. Um, but there's only so much they can do in one episode. So we got a glimpse of it in Friday's Child, but here, um, Michael E. Martin's really had the chance to delve a little bit deeper into the, the the subtleties of that culture because it is so, it's such a different mindset from um, the Federation and even from some of the other more kind of warrior races like the Klingons or whatever. And um, so I, I very much enjoyed that that aspect of the book. Um, and also another thing that was touched upon in Friday's Child is the, the, the idea that at this point in the Federation, the prime directive seems a lot more flexible <laughs> than it maybe yeah. would come to be. Um, I know that the Starship captains are sort of dismissing the prime directive left, right and centre, but here it usually it feels as if they dismiss it because it's the right thing to do, whereas here the Prime Directive seems to be being bent around a bit just because they want to be able to get at the natural resources, <laughs> which doesn't seem, you know, getting at a mineral doesn't seem the best reason to be flaunting the Prime Directive, I think. But uh, Yeah, it, it, it doesn't sound very Star Trek-y, does it? No, it doesn't. It's a sort of... Um, it's not as kind of view of the the Federation as we normally get. They're normally made to be out, out to be very noble, but here um, it's a little less black and white. Uh, I think something that stood out for me, though, especially in the Capella part of the story, was McCoy's relationship with Dr. Wyland because Wyland is his mentor in many ways and, and stops him from making the biggest mistake of his career um, and again, that reflects on the Prime Directive because, you know, there was a chance McCoy could have broken the Prime Directive. Mm. 
Yeah, and all the way through this um, novel, or the well, the certainly the Capella story, I like the the conflict that that McCoy is dealing with between him wanting to help and provide medical assistance and uphold the Hippocratic Oath, but also at the same time having to respect their culture of the fact that they see it as the strong survive and the weak perish and that's the way it is and interfering with that by using medicine goes against sort of their culture and their beliefs and that's a a really difficult thing for a doctor because his immediate instinct is to help no matter what but if the you know if that's not part of their culture that's something that you have to come to terms with and be able to reconcile so obviously a very difficult time in his life and being present in a culture that doesn't value what he does and he's quite vulnerable himself at this point because his marriage is over he's gone to starfleet to try and uh forget his marriage basically Mm -hmm. forget his problems and uh everything seems to be clashing for him so we we have to we read about those struggles while he's he's coping with a, a life he's not seen before in terms of how the capellans live yeah so it's really it's really a turning point in uh, mccoy's life and it, it's it's always nice to see those types of stories because it helps to sh- to show what has shaped the character that we that we've come to know and and it's interesting to see that if things had just gone slightly differently or if he'd reacted differently or if he'd made other choices, that he might not have ended up on the Enterprise, he might not have ended up um, being part of that crew and, and we wouldn't have we wouldn't have known him. No, I agree. So overall it it's it's a nice novella. I, I think it's it was definitely the right size for yeah. the story that um Michael A. Martin wanted to tell. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, maybe calling it middle of the road is is being slightly unkind. I think it was a perfectly nice story. It just, I think in comparison to some of the other books that we've read recently and some of the other novellas, it maybe just didn't set my world alight the way that some of the others did. It's not a bad book. I think people will enjoy it, but it's not a hip hip hooray, this is such a fantastic story and I'm going to reread this seven times over the course of the next few years. No, I, I agree. No, I agree. Perhaps I was a bit harsh, but yeah, it, we, there's definitely a, a lot more interesting stories out there. Perhaps. Yeah, there's there's stories with more character development, with more interesting plot arcs and twists. But this certainly ranks as a good read. I would say. Yeah, definitely. And and again, as we said at the beginning, if you if you like Doctor McCoy, you're going to like this story. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe one of the reasons that I'm less enthralled by it all is is just because TOS was slightly before my time. It, I grew up on TNG and then everything that came after that. So TOS is only something that I've in more recent years gone back and become quite well acquainted with and gone through and watched all the episodes. And um, so. I think maybe somebody who's slightly older than me, who grew up on TOS and has a much more nostalgic um, relationship with those characters, they would maybe get a lot more out of it than I did. But as I said, good reads, just not maybe one of the best that I've read. No, no. So with that in mind, let's move on to the next novella, 
which is The More Things Change by Scott Pearson. Now, we were lucky enough to have Scott Pearson come on the captain's table recently. And I have to say, Roz, that was a, a brilliant interview. It was. Oh, he's a great guy. Um, and it was really nice to be able to talk to him about this book. Um, so if you haven't, if you didn't hear that interview, listeners, um, you can listen to our review about this book and then you can go back and you can listen to us talk to Scott about it and about um, the, some of the choices that he made in writing it and some of his, um, the process of how he came, put the story together. So um, definitely one not to miss. And there's definitely some nice talk about tea as well. So definitely go away <laughs> and listen to that because we talk tea for a considerable about <laughs> yeah, tea trek. <laughs> so the synopsis for The More Things Change. Six months after the events of Star Trek The Motion Picture, Dr. Christine Chapel and Spock must save the life of an alien Aldred Dax. Her true nature as a trill having remained a mystery until now. But after an unknown vessel attacks their shuttle, a risky game of cat and mouse may be the only way to save all their lives. I like this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. And I, th this is another um, another TOS. Um, and even though I am less familiar with TOS and I, I haven't watched all of the episodes multiple times and I don't have as strong a relationship with those characters as I do with some of the 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 characters from TNG onwards, I really did enjoy this. And I thought that it was very well written and that the character development was excellent. Now, again, we're in agreement here, Ros, because first of all, I love stories set between the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan and what's dubbed as the second five-year mission. Mm. I, I just love that era. I, I, I'm not a keen fan of the space pyjamas, but I, <laughs> I, I, I just I just love love reading stories about that period, whether it be in comic form or novels. So I was really, really chuffed when I knew where when this story was set. And it's got good character development, not just of Spock, but also of Christine Chapel. And throughout the story, I could imagine... Uh, Major Barrett saying these lines and it, it would have been a great character piece for her as an actress I think Yeah I really enjoyed the fact that that Scott went back and gave Christine Chapel a backbone <laughs> yeah. and he gave her this whole novella to develop a personality because so many of the female characters in TOS and it's probably one of the reasons why it is a slightly less appealing show to me because I I never I, I didn't exist in the time when women were treated in that sort of second class citizen um whimpering, simpering, prissy lady sort of a way. <laughs> and you know, to me, I grew up with, you know, characters like Kira and whatever who were kick ass and they were just as capable as any of the male um, officers whereas in TOS they always seem to be throwing their arms up and hurling themselves into the shoulder of the nearest male officer to have a good old weep when something <laughs> happens and I just look at them and go how did you ever get into Starfleet for God's sake <laughs> Oh, um, but I, I, I have a real problem with the way that some of those female characters are portrayed and I always felt that you know Christine Chapel was a bit of a wet rag as well in the original series because she was just always pining after Spock and yes doctor no doctor three bags full doctor and in this book she gets a personality and she gets to be in charge and she gets to make executive decisions and she gets pushed out of her comfort zone and she has to um deal with 
weird alien things happening on one side while while she's dealing with this new relationship with with Spock where they're having to rejig their friendship while they're being attacked by an alien vessel and they don't know what's happening and they're trying to outrun them and time is right it's a great story and it's all set with three people in a shuttlecraft so I think the writing to make it that exciting and that compelling with three people in a shuttlecraft is just brilliant great story definitely go read it (laughs) yeah (laughs) no i i have to say first of all that what you were saying about women during the 60s i i thought women never had it so good (laughs) (laughs) yeah because they just had to press around in short in ridiculously short miniskirts and then just like swoon every so often when something bad happens. I, I never noticed a miniskirt, so I'll have to go back and have a look. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, did you miss that? Did you miss I that, did. Michael? <laughs> no, no, no. Before all our female listeners uh, come back rampaging, I, I do agree with Ros, it was a terrible time for women in the 60s. So, uh, what I do like about this, and, and again, it's about Christine, it's the fact that we see some life changes here. She Within this um short story she makes some decisions that will impact the rest of her life and again we see snippets of that whether it be in um star trek in star trek 4 when we see her at starfleet command because everyone's wondering how did she end up there well in this story you find out which i think is really really interesting yeah um i i very much like the way that they developed her character i'd say they that scott um developed her character in this in especially in the way that he rewrites the relationship between her and spock um because as you were saying there she makes some decisions that will impact the rest of her life well in this book she makes the decision to stop pining after spock and to renegotiate their relationship with each other but on her terms and from a a position of strength and of um, self-awareness. She was using him as a coping mechanism, but actually it was doing her more harm than good. And now she's decided that actually she doesn't need the coping mechanism anymore and she cares about him, but as a friend, and that she wants to renegotiate their relationship on 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 that basis of him being a friend. And I like that they're close enough that she can call him out when he's being cagey or when he's trying to use his logic to throw up barriers and to avoid really dealing with a subject. And she just says, no, don't do that. And he is a bit taken aback to begin with, but then he agrees that he'll be honest with her. And it's it's a really beautifully written piece between Chapel and Spock. I really, really enjoyed that. I, I think as well as looking at her relationship with Spock, even though he's not in the story that much, she's also changing her whole relationship with McCoy as well, because at this point there's two doctors on the enterprise because Christine was already the chief medical officer. And then the events of Star Trek, the motion picture came along and McCoy was drafted by Kirk as we know. So suddenly at the end of the film, there's two chief medical officers on the enterprise and she takes a step back so that McCoy can be the chief medical officer. Uh, But again, during the course of the story, she decides that, no, she's not going to accept that and she's going to move on. Yeah, because for McCoy, nothing has changed. He comes back to the Enterprise. He's the CMO again. And, I mean, it's, it's almost natural and understandable that he would just fall back into the routine of treating her like his chief nurse. But she isn't. 
it, things have changed for her. She is now a chief medical officer. She's on the same sort of level as he is, but she's not getting that level of respect. So again, she has to make the decision that she's going to renegotiate this on her terms and she's going to make the decision that's right for her. And that decision is to leave the enterprise. Now, moving slightly away from Christine, looking at Spock, though, we see a different Spock at the beginning of this story because, again, it follows on from the motion picture. Spock has had his encounter with Vija and... You know, he had tried to go through Coronar, but that didn't work. And he's still trying to deal with his emotions. And it's really interesting seeing where he goes. And as you say, um, Christine put him in his place a couple of times. And um, he's still trying to find out who he is, isn't he, in the course of this story? Yeah, and again, it's a really interesting development for his character because we do see a change in Spock um, after the... The motion picture and then again obviously through Rathacan search for Spock he, he does change as time goes on and this is a nice little transition piece where you can see sort of up close and personal him trying to consolidate his old worldview with what he has now been given through the meld with Vija and how he's these extra little bits of emotion and um and a, a bit more of his humanity has started to rise to the surface. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I, like, I, I find Spock really endearing in this, in this book. I found his, his whole, um, all the sections that he was in, and I know he spends most of the time in a bulkhead underneath. <laughs> underneath <laughs> yeah, poor guy. He gets locked away for most of the story in a bulkhead trying to fix the, the shuttlecraft. But um, all the, the interactions between him and Christine, I found him very endearing because he was almost childlike because he, he was trying to learn how to process these new feelings and emotions almost in the way that a child does where they they're they're dealing with it for the first time and they're seeing it all all fresh so it was really nice and and especially the way that she would um on the one hand she would call him out if he was trying to be you know cagey or avoid something but on the other hand she was really quite gentle and nurturing with him in the way that she was being very understanding of his circumstances and trying almost to to give him a little bit of a guiding hand through these new emotions that he was dealing with. And there was, there was a couple of very nice little moments between them that were very poignant. So, it, yeah, it was a lovely, the way it was written, it was very nice for both of them. No. Now, you, you actually mentioned that the story is three people in a shuttlecraft. Now, it is a chase story because they it's very dramatic the way Scott has put the tension within three people and the stress levels that's happening because they're being chased by an unknown enemy you don't find out who they are till the very last uh chapter which i think is is brilliant i thought i thought that was really good and and the way he made it so dramatic with that chase i thought was really good so we get the character development we have the drama from the chase which i thought was really good did you feel that that drama because of the chase and 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 because we don't know who they are till the last minute. Yeah, I like the fact that, that Scott kept the mystery around it. Um, and he was always upping the stakes because, you know, the first time they, 
they get hit and then they get away and then the second time they're hit a bit worse and you're not sure if they're going to get away but then they do and then the you know the third time they have to they're really pushing it and you they're gaining on them and you don't know if the shuttlecraft's going to hold up or if they're going to get to where they're trying to go in time and and then they have to you know pull it out of the 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 hat at the last minute to try and do this fantastic trick to get away from them and to evade the sensors and every time it's like the pursuers get a little bit closer a little bit closer and the tension builds and builds and builds and you still don't know who they are and then eventually you do get the the capture you know that where they, they get boarded and you you find out who it is and you have and they have to then um try and battle to stay alive long enough to then be rescued and I, all the all the while um we haven't even mentioned Dax but all the while Dax is ill through this whole book and she's getting progressively worse and worse and worse so not only do you have the tension building from the chase but you also have the tension building from Dax's deteriorating um, condition and them trying to evade their their pursuers keep the ship flying in one piece but also um, keep Dax alive and there's only two of them to be doing all of this so the tension that he manages to build in this story is phenomenal you mentioned Dax so let's get this out of the way um now the trill were introduced in TNG and it was all very hush hush and top secret so and I did ask the question when we when we spoke to Scott about why the trill and and why Dax and and you know go away listeners listen to the interview for for Scott's reasons but um did it work for you Roz because it did for me and the way the story's left is is the secret is kept but at first, I was thinking, oh, some people are not going to like this. Yeah, well, I I suppose that some people could make the argument that it feels a bit forced to have inserted Dax in because they could have done this entire story and it could have been a different trill. Obviously, they've used he's used Dax because that is the character that we know, so it's a reference to DS9. But I think that he makes it work not only because the whole Dax storyline does help to expand on that um, that link between the TNG trolls that we know and the uh, DS9 trolls that we know, and then obviously there's there is a development of the troll storyline throughout DS9 from it being very secretive, only very few people are compatible to actually most people are compatible, but we've kept the secret for so long, um, and you know, we're not sure that outsiders would understand, blah, blah, blah. So it does act as quite a nice wee link, but it also, they make it work that it is Dax because they link it to Dax's previous relationship with McCoy, which is mentioned in Trials and Tribulations, the DS9 TOS crossover. So it was really clever the way that he took this one little reference in that crossover show and managed to make it believable that that's why Dax ended up on the Enterprise because Jadzia Dax makes reference to the fact that she had had a bit of a fling with McCoy while she was, I think it was Emony, wasn't it? I think Emily so, yeah. Dax. Yeah, I think yeah. it was Emily Dax. So now she's Audrey Dax, but she's gone back and um, 
she's still, you know, got this relationship. And they, they make a bit of a, a funny about the fact that McCoy got a bit of a shock <laughs> when he realised that it was the same person but with a different face now. Um, so he does, I think he ties it in really well. Um, and from that initial reaction of, oh, it's maybe a bit forced, but it's Dax, actually, I totally buy it. Now that I've read the book, I totally buy it that it would be Dax. And those are the reasons why. And... Yeah, I thought it was great. So all all around, I enjoyed the trail aspect of the story. No, I did, and and I really enjoyed the relationship between Christine and and Dax because um, Dax has to open up in the end, and and between the two, there's this um, trust building up between the two because mm-hmm. Dax has to let her in to save her life, and and I really enjoyed how how Christine wins her trust and and how that friendship begins and and develops in such a short span as well. Yeah, and, and it starts off with almost a similar conflict um, as McCoy had in the Seasons of Light and Darkness in that um, at the beginning of this book, Christine is, is supposed to be caring for, for Dax, but she's not allowed to do any scans. She's not allowed to use the biobed or the tricorder. Um, she's not allowed to know why. She's not allowed to have a medical history because they don't want her or anybody from the Federation to know that she has the symbiote in her belly. And so Dax is struggling, sorry, not Dax, Chapel, Christine Chapel is struggling between her desire to respect their wishes and their culture, but also her desire to help her patient and to have as many facts as possible so that she can give her the best quality of care because she can see that she's, she's very ill. So, that that was a good struggle, and I like the way that that he didn't just have her disregard Dax's um, wishes when they started to come under attack. She, Christine, really did try to respect her wishes and to remain in the dark for as long as humanly possible. And only when it became when she'd exhausted every other. Um, possibility did she then start to um sort of probe in where she wasn't really supposed to and uh, and she found out the secret but i i like the way that that was written and it's nice it was nice to see um another side another one of dax's hosts because although it wasn't one of the daxes that we've known there was still elements that were recognizable about the personality the sort of strong-willed and quite forthright and outspoken and so yeah there was elements that sort of reminded me of a bit of Jadzia a bit of Esri so yeah I agree and and overall I think again Scott captures McCoy and Christine perfectly I think as mentioned the the use of three characters works really well the shuttlecraft is always a good plot device because the characters have to open up and there's not the safety net of a starship so to to help them so i think all round and i really think the more things change is a brilliant star trek novel and a great novella yeah i think that currently if i had to recommend a novella to somebody it would be this one so there you go listeners if you're going to pick up a novella this season or over the christmas holidays as some light reading over a weekend or an evening i would pick this one definitely worth reading 
definitely and and again that's a, another good thing about the novellas because if you wanted to and you've got a couple of hours spare and you don't want to watch the telly you just want to sit back and relax you can easily get through a novella in in two three hours and 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 you can have a nice nice evening there yeah they're very they're very digestible um it doesn't take very long to to read i think the more things change i read over the course of a couple of evenings um you know in between making the dinner and whatever just instead of watching the tv i read the book and it was it was great great story it was probably one of these ones that i would go back and read again because i think that there'll be little bits and pieces that i've maybe missed the first time around that i'll appreciate the second time around so um yeah i really really did enjoy this one no me too so let's go to our last one and I know you're excited about this one. Right? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So <laughs> this this is a Titan story and this is Absent Enemies and it's by John Jackson Miller. And the synopsis for Absent Enemies, newly promoted Admiral William Riker and the crew of the USS Titan are ordered to race to Garridus 4, a planet Riker knows all too well from an unsuccessful peace mission when he was still first officer of the Enterprise. But this time he finds a mysterious new situation, one with the potential to imperil the entire Federation. One of the warring parties have simply vanished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Roz, I know you've got some concerns about this story, so... Let's jump straight in. What didn't you like about this story? <laughs> oh, I feel really bad because I like John Jackson Miller. I think that he has had some good books and I don't ever like to be negative about a story, but I really didn't like this book. And it's the first one that I've really ever been able to say that about. And do you know what? It wasn't the story. Because I thought that the story, the actual plot was okay. It was, as concepts go, it was interesting to have it sort of hark back to a previous mission, to have these two opposing sides and one's vanished and there's outside influences and it all kind of ties in with Typhon Pack stuff. So the story was okay. My issue with the book were the characters because... I felt as if it had been written by somebody who's never seen an episode of Star Trek because it just didn't sound like them. And I said before when we were talking about um, the McCoy book, I always find it very important that when I'm reading the book that the characters are true to to what we've already seen, to what's been established, and that when the characters are speaking, you can hear the actors saying it in your head, and and that's when you really know that they've been well-written. And in this book, I just kept reading it and thinking, Picard would never say something like that. Riker would never say something like that. Worf would never say... And and people like Tuvok and... It was as if he'd just disregarded everything that we knew about them and just written whatever he fancied having them. And it was so disappointing for me because it they it was as if I was reading a book about totally different people because th- those were not the characters that we know. I mean, when have you ever heard Picard say something like, let's get the hell out of here? 
you know, that's just not the sort of colloquial language that he uses. And and Tuvok came off as really kind of totally clueless. I know that sometimes he doesn't quite fit in or get the whole, um, you know, colloquialisms or jokes or sarcasm or whatever. But some, But that's more a cultural thing and it's more about it's not so much that he doesn't get them, but sometimes that he just doesn't appreciate them. Whereas in this book, it was more written as if he was, he was just daft and a bit incompetent and he kind of just didn't know what was going on. And I felt that it was really, it, he came off really poorly for a lot of the first half of this book. Anyway, that was, I, I could ramble on about different examples of it, but overall my main problem with, with this book was that I felt that the characters were not true to the characters from the show and from the other novels where they have been written excellently and, and absolutely true to the characters that the actors have developed for us. And in, in this I just felt it was a real shame because it could have been a really good story if the characters had just been more believable as themselves but I I couldn't get past that I couldn't I just it, it just ruined it for me and I really didn't enjoy it <laughs> I, I, I think <clears throat> sorry I think where you've mentioned Tuvok if if I was if I was going to be completely objective I would say it's almost like he stumbles from one one scene to another in this book isn't it and it's mm. not that it's not that direct Tuvok we, we're used to that we saw on Voyager. And I think if you look at the two alien va- races that are within this story, they do come across quite clunky, I think, in in their speech. But I understand where you're coming from in terms of the main characters. Um, to be honest, I didn't pick up on the on the Picard the Picard quote about getting the hell out of here. And, and, and I'm going to have to go back and reread it now because again, yeah, you're right. He wouldn't have said that it, it would have been slightly different, but it would have been just as meaningful. So that's something I do need to look at. Yeah. I mean, and even the bit where they, they find out that they're going to be go- at the very beginning of the book, they Riker and Troy and whatever find out that they're going to be going back to this planet that he's been to, on mission before and in my head everything that I know of Riker would be he would be like he would sort of sigh and maybe grumble a bit or make some sort of like off the cuff comment about it but in this he goes into his ready room he gathers all of the senior (laughs) staff into his ready room and he has a tantrum about it like a proper, oh my god, I can't believe they're sending me back here. Oh my god, it's so terrible. And Doesn't he throw like, a chair? Doesn't he, he throw does. a chair or he something? Throws a, he, he like chucks a chair over on its side <laughs> and then has a big tantrum in front of all of his senior staff. When have we ever seen any member of Starfleet act in such a childish manner? It like I, I couldn't believe it. I read that whole scene with like a slack jaw because I was like, <laughs> what are they doing to my poor, poor, poor Admiral Riker? Why are you doing this to him? You're making him sound like a two-year-old. Oh goodness. So I just, I couldn't get past the characterizations. I, I couldn't, even though that the, the story was fine. Um, it was, I think slightly forced and unbelievable in places, 
but I couldn't get past the characters um, to enjoy the rest of it. So for me, this is not one that I would read again or recommend. For other people who are maybe less bothered about the characters in a, in a book being the same as the characters in the show, they'll maybe be able to enjoy it. I'm not saying that there won't be people out there who won't enjoy this book, but for me personally, this is something that I just didn't get a lot out of. I, I think for me, there were some things that I, I did get out. Um, this is the first story since the fall, and we see Riker getting used to being an admiral. Of course, frying chairs around isn't exactly admiral material, but I, I enjoyed that, and him, him trying to get used to the bigger picture of being an admiral, and uh, Vel, she's getting used to being a captain. Uh, I thought I thought that was quite good. And I thought the concept of, of a diplomatic mission that Picard was unable to solve himself and and of course we get a flashback to the enterprise d um i thought that was quite interesting uh that was a good concept as well and and there's a mystery involved too but i i, I do understand your frustrations with, with the story have you ever seen um batman brave and the bold no oh, i've oh, seen quite a lot of them i've seen the batman and i've seen mm justice league and i've seen quite a lot of representations of batman and cartoons but not that one oh brave and the bold is a it's sort of a 50s style uh team up one and each week batman would team up on a story with a, a different character and one of the popular ones is aquaman and but this aquaman is um quite a a jokey one and he loves to tell stories and whack people on the back and one of the things he likes to say is um this is outrageous and he, he does it in such he does it in such a way and in this story at one point and i thought it was a really good line and i don't know what you thought um when Riker's captured or taken prisoner he turns around and says this is outrageous and it lost all the all the drama because i couldn't help but think of aquaman <laughs> when he was saying this piece but but then what, what what i thought was good was that scene was that Riker suddenly realizes he's become he's or he's almost becoming one of those admirals he never liked as a first officer yeah yeah okay i did i did like the fact that when he said this is outrageous that he then sort of in his head goes oh my god I, how many times have I heard diplomats and whatever say that and now I've become one of them and I, I did also like that there was one part where they were talking about one of the the races on the planet and they start describing them and then they say um they say yeah I had um I met one of this race on a bar on Deep Space Nine and he never shut up. And obviously they're making reference to Morn. And that was quite a nice little nod to, to DS9. Um, like I said, I'm not saying that this book was all bad. There were little nice little bits like that that I could pull out of it. But just overall for me, it didn't work. But um, yeah, there were some there were some fun little moments. I think um, now you're a big fan of TNG, as, as the listeners know. And this story is actually connected to tng the next phase from season five which is one of my favorites because it has most probably the best star trek character ever in it which is ro laren <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
You mean you're a fan of Rolaren? I don't think I've ever heard you mention this before, Michael. <laughs> Everyone's favourite Bajoran. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was good. I, I did like the fact they went back to that story. Yeah, well, it's, it's always good when there's a tip of a hat to, um, to a previous episode or to something that's already been established. Yeah, I think on this one we're get, we're going to agree to slightly disagree. I think Ros, because I, I did enjoy the story. I think after the intensity of the fall, um, it was nice to move away from all the political intrigue and and get back to exploring and and being on diplomatic missions. Um, I think it. I enjoyed Riker in this story because we're seeing him grow, we're seeing him become an admiral, and, and, and I've, I've always liked that concept, ever since he was promoted in the full series. Um, and it, in some ways it's a fun novel, because he has taken elements from other stories, he's using plot devices from the Typhon Pack novels, which I thought was quite good. And I actually put in my notes, Roz, and, and you might slap me across the interwebs. I've actually put, he captures the characters really well. And I'm looking forward to seeing his first full-length novel, which is actually Star Trek Takedown in the new year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's not all I can add. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, think, I think life would be really boring if um, we all agreed with the same thing. Well, that's true. And up up until this point, um, we have agreed on every other review that we've done this year. So it's not bad going if out of every review we've done this year, it's one novella that we can't agree on. Um, but that's that's fine. No. That's fine. Each to their own. This is this is all about personal opinion. <laughs> oh, exactly. So. Ros, we've looked at three novellas for this show, and again, you know, one we thought was okay, one we really, really enjoyed, and, and one there's a, there's a bit of, I wouldn't say conflict, but just differing opinions. But it'd be great to know what the listeners think, because again, as as we keep saying this year on the Captain's Table, it's been a great year for Star Trek in books. There's so many stories out there to read and enjoy. Yeah, and such a great amount of variety as well. I mean, I really think that's something for everybody. So, so the, the listeners will maybe disagree with us on some reviews. There may be some things that they liked, some things that they didn't like. But I think overall, there's so much good content out there this year that everyone should be able to find at least one or two books that they really enjoy. Definitely, because it will be outrageous if they don't <laughs> find one they like. Outrageous! <laughs> Oh, God, we're turning into diplomats. <laughs> we are. <laughs> so just to let the listeners know, we, we did mention we're going to do another novella show, and that, and that will be in New Year. And we're going to be looking at the last three remaining novellas that came out this year, and that's going to be Q, You Are Cordially Uninvited. Um, we're going to be looking at Temporal Investigations Collectors and Lust Latinum's Lost, and found by Paula M. Block and Terry J. Erdman. So those are the three we're going to look at at the beginning of next year. So that should be good fun. And already we know there's going to be quite a few more novellas coming out next year. So it's a great time if you, if you like novellas. Definitely. And so many other things coming out in the following year. But we will talk about that in our future shows. And on the next show, which is our last show of 2014, now 
we're not going to preempt anything, but I just have to say it's been an amazing year for us, Roz, on the captain's table. And on our last show, we're going to be reviewing 2014 and the captain's table. We are. We're going to be taking a look back at all the different shows that we've uh, recorded together. We're going to be looking at some of the different books that we've reviewed, the different authors that we've interviewed. We'll be talking a bit about our favourite um, shows, our favourite books, our favourite interviews. Um, and we'll be having a wee look ahead to what's in store for The Captain's Table in 2015. So it's going to be an absolutely jam-packed show and lots of good fun. Definitely. And we're not going to have any notes. We're just going to go for it. And we really <laughs> want to have a random show. So it should be really good. But we are both going to announce our novel for 2014, the story that we love. So obviously, I'm not sure what Roz's is and Roz doesn't know what mine is. So we're not going to find out together until we actually speak to each other. So that's going to be great fun. But until then, we want to know what you think of tonight's show. And here's how you can. If you'd like to get in touch with the show and we'd love to hear from you, you can find us at visionarytrack.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash visionarytrack and on Twitter at visionarytrack. You can contact me directly via email at roz, R-O-Z, at visionarytrack.com or you can find me on Twitter at roslyns, that's R-O-S-L-Y-N-S. And you can find me on Twitter at mclark1701. Or if you want to contact me directly, you can email me at mike at visionarytrek.com. So that's it for this show. And from both Michael and myself at the Captain's Table and Visionary Trek, we'd like to wish you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're hoping that all of your festive preparations are going well. And we'll see you at the next show. You've been listening to The Captain's Table 